Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make organizations more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. My guest today is Michelle Newsom-Smith. Michelle is the owner and principal consultant at The Word Woman LLC, and she has expertise in all areas of nonprofit development and sustainability. Michelle and I talked about why she often tries to talk people out of starting a nonprofit. It's a good point. Ask yourself before you go through the process of setting up an organization, Do you really want to run an organization or do you just want to help people? And as Michelle describes, there are other ways to get the infrastructure support you need to run a program than to set up your own separate organization, write your bylaws, recruit a board of directors. One of those options is to work with your local community foundation. Another is to find an organization that provides fiscal sponsorship. And we'll explain what that means. For many, these are better options because they allow the founder to focus on the issue that they want to work on rather than spending as much energy on everything it takes to actually run an organization. So welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for this opportunity to speak with you today. I'm I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation and people are going to learn a lot through all the expertise you bring to nonprofits. But one place I like to start with folks is what what really drew you to the work that you do? What motivates and what would what would you describe as your why? Interesting question. I would certainly say my mom is definitely I think the seed planter. So I was a do-gooder before I knew what do-gooder meant. We were always involved in some kind of community outreach, giving, engagement, volunteering, something. And so my first job was in retail, like most of us. My first professional job was in health and human services. And I just love the idea of helping people and giving back. But I'm also, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I would have been a teacher. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd and I, and I love using tools and techniques and resources. And so I, after spending most of my professional career in the sector and learning that most of us are very passionate, but we don't necessarily realize that nonprofits are businesses and like for-profit businesses, they're best practices. And so people would ask me for help and assistance. So I eventually went from being an unofficial consultant to thinking one day, maybe I should officially do this. And so about almost 11 years ago now, I I started the Word Woman LLC. Well, that's awesome. And and congratulations on your longevity because, you know, a lot of folks think, oh, yes, let me go out and do this. But not everybody uh, makes it and makes it for 11 years. Um, So congratulations on that. And I I appreciate what you said about your mom. My brother uh, has has special needs. He's autistic and profoundly deaf. And my mom was always his advocate. And then through the work being his advocate, she became an advocate more broadly Mm -hmm. in the disability community. And it really was an inspiration for, you know, the things that, you know, the not always thinking about, well, 
certainly you want to make sure that all of your 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 own folks, your family's taken care of. But then, what's the what's the broader implication of all the folks who need the same help? And what skills can you bring to help them take those same steps? So appreciate that that beginning. And one of the areas I know you you work in a lot of different areas, um, but one of the areas that you focus on is helping organizations with pursuing grants. And it seems to me that oftentimes this is the first thing that people think mm-hmm. about when they get into the nonprofit sector. They're passionate about an area. They want to they wanna help people. They want to create some change or some good in the world. And they think about grants. We have to go after grants. Yeah. What would you say is the most common misconception that people have about pursuing grants? Well, it's, it's interesting the way that you teed that up because that's exactly it. I've actually had to talk people out of starting a nonprofit simply because they narrowly think about the grants and the fact that, hey, you have to be a nonprofit to get one. So I would say that the biggest misconception is that just because you're doing good, people will want it, like funders are going to want to give you a grant. So you don't have to think it through. You don't have to actually have a plan. Just tell them that you have 501c3 status and they'll give you a grant. Yeah, and I love the the comment that you made about actually talking people out of uh, starting a nonprofit. What? Tell me more about that motivation. What caused that conversation? Sure. It's. It, I tell people all the time. I am the nonprofit consultant that will talk you out of doing something you were willing to pay me to do, and and that's because I'm very passionate about the nonprofit sector, and I I know how critically important it is to protect it. Because with for-profit businesses, if a business does something wrong, it's the public kind of singularly looks at that business and says, that business is bad. But in our sector, if a nonprofit ends up on the front of the newspaper for the wrong reasons, it's not just that nonprofits, it's the entire sector that's bad and corrupt or what have you. And so I really like to talk through with people when they approach me about helping them with starting a nonprofit their why. Why do you want to do it? Let's let's explore the reason. Let's explore if it's right. Let's explore if there are some alternatives. So a great example would be just uh, last week I talked to a group and they wanted to start a nonprofit simply because they wanted to get grants. And, um, and I explained to them that what they wanted to do, they could easily start a fund at a, the community foundation or get a fiscal sponsor or nonprofit partner. And after a bit of back and forth, because they had you know, made up their mind that they wanted to start this nonprofit, they eventually, I put them in contact with some folks and they came back and circled, circled back to me and said, you know what, Michelle, you're absolutely right. We're getting a fiscal sponsor. So yeah, other times it's, you really should start a for-profit business. Let's own that and move forward. <laughs> Right. And there's so more, um, you know, different options now within the for-profit sector of being a B Corp or other kinds of for-benefit corporations where the organization is not necessarily putting, only putting profit as the bottom line, but looking at a, a you know, a triple bottom line, if you will, mm-hmm. but still being created as a, as a for-profit entity. You talked about a couple different things that folks may or may not be familiar with. One of them was a fiscal sponsor. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is and what the benefits are for someone getting started to get started with a fiscal sponsor? 
Absolutely. So whether even if you start a nonprofit, so one of the things I explain to people is that just because you have a nonprofit doesn't mean that you have tax exempt status or you're eligible to receive charitable donations. That's getting the 501c3 status from the IRS. So when you start a nonprofit or if you have some kind of informal program or activity that you want to be able to secure community support that may come in the form of grants, that may come in the form of donations, a great strategy for that is through fiscal sponsorship. And what a fiscal sponsor is, is a nonprofit organization that has the 501c3 status from the IRS, but also has the capacity and willingness to bring your activity under their umbrella. And so the program, the nonprofit, gets the benefit of 501c3 status without having the responsibilities. So all of the funding goes through the fiscal sponsor who helps to sort of manage those resources on behalf of the program or the nonprofit that doesn't have 501c3 status. So it positions you to be able to still do your charitable work, to still get community support, but to do it with the support of an entity that is positioned and has the capacity and resources to, to properly manage that support. Yeah, and oftentimes that capacity that can be difficult for organizations or when they're not, when they're barely organizations, where then mm-hmm. when they're a program, when they're a person with an idea, is managing the money, managing the accounting. Uh, you know, if you end up with any staff people or contractors managing all of that, all of the kind of operational, the IT, all of that kind of thing that, you know, one of the things that I see is so many people have great ideas, but then every time you create a new organization, you also have to have some way of accessing that all of that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most time, most people go into the sector or if they want to start an organization, their motivation is not around creating those operational that operational infrastructure. It's about helping people. Right. Um, And so, yeah, so the fiscal sponsor can kind of take on some of that, provide some of that, so that the the person with the idea who wants to create the program or who has created a program and wants to build it can really focus on that rather than more of the administrative side or plug into already a system of administration that can support them. And then the other thing you talked about was community foundation. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about what they are and how they can contribute to someone who wants to get started? Oh, yes. Yeah. So everyone who is listening, if your nonprofit is looking for support, uh, financial support or capacity support, certainly go and have a conversation with your community foundation representatives. The community foundation, unlike a family foundation or even a corporate foundation where they may have one singular purpose or focus area, the community foundation uh, model affords nonprofits the opportunity to make, to potentially tap into multiple sources at the same time. So the foundation has its own funding that it distributes, but there are also funds that individuals, corporations, community groups may establish that have their own purpose, their own criteria. So it could be grants, it could be scholarships, it could be seed money um, for a host of different causes. And so um, one of the problems that we often have with uh, accessing those resources is the failure to have the conversation. And so 
we immediately just want to look for the current opportunity, submit the grant requests, and cross our fingers and hope that we get funded. But if we have a conversation prior to, and we explore, well, where are the opportunities? Um, I, I have a, a friend who is the president of a community foundation, and she was sharing with a group that was presenting um, at the foundation for, and she said that um, we have people who have these funds, who have an interest in supporting various causes, and we don't always know the nonprofits that fit that criteria. And so it's important for us to have these conversations to explore with the different organizations what their missions are, how they carry them out, so that the, the staff at the Community Foundation can figure out, well, how do we connect the, the individual who has the resources and wants to give it to the organization that has the need and is trying to figure out how to cover it? So almost like a, a matchmaking process, mm -hmm. if you will. Absolutely. And and when you talked about your the kind of main misconception that people have is, you know, I've got a great idea, I want to help people, um, I'll just go, I'll just fill out some forms and, you know, foundations are magically going to give me money. And you said that the biggest thing was, you know, not having a plan. Can you, can you say more, a little bit more about what you mean by that and what are the kind of questions that people should be thinking through and making decisions about to create that plan? Absolutely. So one, this is the way I like to describe it. Do your homework. So what is homework? Homework means you've already determined your mission, your vision, the strategies you're going to use to carry it out. So, so doing the homework. So what is homework? Homework is having a clear understanding of your mission and your vision and your strategies, developing programs based on those strategies that include um, a clear plan, who, what, where, why, how, and a budget to match it. So a lot of times organizations will identify an opportunity and then try to develop a program or project around the opportunity. Best case scenario is that you've already determined what you want to do, you know how much it costs, you have a timeline, and then you're looking for the opportunity that, that aligns with that, that plan. So that when you when you begin to do the paperwork, you begin to fill out the the application. It's less of a does this fit? Will they be interested? And more of we know that this is a fit, and we're just plugging in the information we've already developed. The other thing, of course, would be um, how do we ensure that this is a good fit? And one of the ways that we do that is that we reach out to the funder in advance. Doesn't always happen, but sometimes the stars align and you can actually have a conversation with a, a foundation representative, send a quick email, potentially even have a meeting with them so that they can have a conversation and understand what it is you're planning to do, ensure, you know, give you some assurance that it does align with what the foundation is interested in supporting. And that way when your grant application arrives, it's not a surprise, they're expecting it. And, and having done that pre-work, particularly the conversation, positions us as nonprofits to have an ally on the inside. Because when the decision-making starts and nobody sitting around the table knows anything about your organization, they can look to what I call the gatekeeper, that program officer or whomever, who can say, oh yes, I know about that organization. I can answer some of those questions you might have. 
Yeah, so that first step of really ensuring fit, um, you know, that, that you've done your homework and I would guess, and I'm, I'm not a fundraiser, but I would guess, you know, just the basics of, have you read what the foundation funds? Mm-hmm. Is what is the work that you're doing within their purview? Is it something within one of their programs? Most foundations, and, and you said in, different than community foundations, which can have a wide variety of areas that they're interested in, depending on all the different donors that might have funds with them. Generally, family foundations, corporate foundations, um, large and small, typically have made some decisions around their own strategy, mm-hmm. around what they are interested in and, and what they're pursuing. So that first check of, well, let's read to make sure that, you know, we fit in some way. And then if we think we do, reach out and say, well, I think, and so would it be something like this of, you know, you write an email, this is kind of a par- you know paragraph length of, this is kind of what we're, so what we're aiming to do is this, you know, within what you guys are interested in, in funding. That, you know, it's funny because I'm always reminded of, I was doing some grant work for an organization and I found this family foundation doing some research. I sent an email and it basically was like you described a paragraph that introduced them to the organization. This is our mission. This is who we serve. This is the, the work that we carry out. We would love to explore, you know, learning more about your foundation and where we might fit. The president of the foundation, now, of course, it's a small family foundation. So when I say president, there's a small but mighty group, emailed me that. Actually, she called and left a voicemail. And she said, we've never heard of this organization, but we're very intrigued. That email that took me a couple minutes to write resulted in a face-to-face meeting, an invite to apply for funding at the maximum amount that the foundation funded. And that organization was funded twice simply because I found the foundation and sent an email. So it does work. <laughs> and it can save you a, t- a lot of time if the answer is no. Abs- yeah, there you go. Right? Because it takes a lot of work to write a grant. It certainly and does. And if, if you don't even meet the first criteria and you get you get pushed to the side in the first cut, that was a lot of work for nothing. I tell folks all... So you you keep you were saying read 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 and I can't emphasize that enough. Read the, the the foundation's website. Read the request for proposal. Years ago, I was a I, I volunteered to do grant reviewing for um, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. I did that for three years, and these were fifty page documents, grant applications for requests between half a million and quarter of a million dollars. And I can tell you that some of the applications were um, denied simply because it was very clear that the applicant did not read the request for proposal. And so they didn't submit the information that was appropriate. And so we we had to, you know, score them poorly. <laughs> and so you got to read, read and then follow the guidance. So what are some things that help people do a better job of pursuing grants? Well, like I said, definitely doing that homework. I would say really making sure that you've read and reread your proposal, your material before you submit it. Make sure that your budget aligns with your narrative. I shouldn't see things in your budget that weren't mentioned in your narrative and vice versa. And then 
I think the other way to be successful with brands is to make sure that you deliver on your promises. So don't just get the money and then, you know, go off celebrating, take it seriously and then deliver so that the funder will want to support you again. Yeah, a couple things you said there. I, uh, I, you know, I think oftentimes people think of the, they may not think of the connections between the budget and the narrative or, um, you know, think of it, oh, that's that last thing that we have to fill out. But really a, a budget in, you know, it, it, it in a way is like, it's a plan in numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a plan in money. And, um, you know, so it, it really should connect back and it should be clear for the funder how you're planning to spend their money. Um, because obviously that's a, that's a key concern for them. There you go. And the budget should be real. I have had times where I've gone to meet with folks and I ask them for their budget. They slide it across the table and I slide it right back because I can tell it's just a bunch of numbers that you've made up. So actually do the homework and research. You shouldn't have to guess on certain things that you could just Google to find out what is the what is the cost of that item. Um, and so it gives you, like you said, you get this mirrored version of the project in numbers that mirrors the narrative and it positions you so that you can actually deliver on what you propose because if your budget doesn't align then you're put in a position where you may run out of money but you've told the funder this is all the money that we need so it's very important to make sure that the budget is based on doing your research and based on actual need and that it mirrors your plan yeah, it seems like uh, another thing that I've experienced more from being on the program side of, you know, here are all the million things that we promised to the funder that we were going to do. And it's like, well, it's just me and this other person and we only have so much time in the day and I don't know how we're going to deliver it all. Yes, yes, yes. I, the, please do not overpromise. First of all, if it's not feasible, it doesn't make sense. Years ago, I was working with an organization, and this was pre-pandemic, but we were still via Zoom because they were in another country. And they were going to be doing this maternal health project where they were responding to a request for proposals. So the project idea was already set. And they were supposed to uh, work with pregnant women and follow them through their child's third birthday. And I asked, there were two folks that I was meeting with who were the only two people who staffed this organization. And I asked a simple question, how many pregnant women are you gonna serve? And I kid you not, the executive director said a thousand. And that was my face exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was thinking, first of all, where are you gonna find a thousand pregnant women? Number one. But number two, how are you gonna possibly follow them plus their children for three years? And so I think that what they were thinking was, we need to give this big number so it sounds like we're making huge impact. And and, and to that, I would say, years ago, it was all about the numbers, the outputs, which is a grant term. So you're counting people, you're counting events, you're counting um, beads, right? So that's how we measured success. The bigger the number, the greater the success. But now we talk about impact, which is more about the outcome, the result of the work that you did. 
So we, instead of touching people, so it's great that you could say, well, we, we touched a thousand people, but did you actually affect change with them if you just simply touched them? Not really. But if you could actually work with a hundred and move them from where they are to a better position, a better situation, then that's more impactful. That's more significant than simply just touching a thousand. Yeah, so really looking at, and that goes from the the request for proposal, the fact that they wanted those pregnant women to be followed through for three years, Mm -hmm. that's a significant amount of time. Um, And yeah, to think about what's feasible in terms of um, your staffing and and how many people can you reach and, and how many people will then you be able to continue to work with over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say? I think another, uh, you know, there, there are folks who are starting out, they have some misconceptions. I also find that sometimes board members can really have misconceptions about um, grants and, and be very focused on grants. What would you say are, I mean, there are obviously a lot of upsides to getting grants, but are, are there any hidden costs that you would talk about that caution people that they need to kind of consider those things as well when they're pursuing grants? So you touched on one of the things earlier where you said there's a lot of time and energy invested in just preparing the grant proposal. And, and if you have paid staff, then that means that's money you're investing. So that may not result in a grant. And when it comes to getting the grant, there's a cost related to that as well, because there's the, um, the cost of managing, there's, a, there's cost related to investment of time for reporting, for evaluations. Um, so it's not just give us the, the money and, and, and we'll just go off and do our mission. You, you touched on something else too, which is, you know, this whole idea of the board and let's get grants, let's get grants. Um, I actually have a client right now who I, just before we got on our call, she, I, I was receiving emails where the board members found grant opportunities, which is great because that means that they're engaged. But we do want to re- recognize that grants cannot, should not, and won't be your only source of funding. Grants have a lot of limitations. They don't pay for everything. They're time bound. And so it's very important that as part of, from the board level, part of our strategic planning, that we're thinking about all of the available funding sources. And then we're thinking about how do we tap into all of them to ensure that we have adequate resources, whether that's individual donations, corporate support in the form of donations or sponsorships, membership dues, do we pay, have like programs where folks may pay for services or have fees related to being involved with our organization. We need to look at all of the available funding sources and then have a strategy so that grants are part of the strategy, but not the strategy. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to, to ask, yeah, the, you know, obviously grants are just one way to to raise funds. And so you talked about those different types of, um, you know, possible revenue streams. What are some of the key aspects uh, that organizations need to consider when they're thinking about putting together a fundraising plan? I would say certainly the fundraising plan should be driven by our strategic plan. So we're we're planning to raise the money to support our, our program plans, our operating costs. 
Thirdly, there are costs that, as I said, are not going to be covered by restricted sources of funding, such as grants, keeping the lights on. So you may have a grant where the funder will say, we'll pay for the person who's presenting, we'll pay for the materials, we'll pay for food, but we're not paying the, electric, the electricity bill. And so we need to incorporate as part of that fundraising plan sources that are unrestricted. So individual gifts, gifts from individuals, I should say, should be central to our fundraising plan. And it should incorporate the various sources of revenue and an action plan or strategy for how we're gonna carry it out. And that again, should be top down. So the board should be driving this effort even when you have staff that may be implementing your plan. So you talked about a couple terms that some people probably are already familiar with, but others may not be restricted and unrestricted funds. Can you say a little bit more about what that means? Sure. So the way I like to uh, describe the differences for those of us um, who go, well, you, you go to church and you make your tithes and offering, most of us don't ask any questions about where that money's going. We just trust that it's going to be done, used for good and we go about our business. So as individuals, we're making contributions to our church without any strings attached or expectations other than seeing the manifestation of, of the good, right? Whereas if you receive a grant or you receive a large gift from an individual donor, it may come with some expectations, some strings. So it may be restricted regarding um, the budget. So when we submit a grant proposal, we include a budget. The funder expects for you to spend the money as you budgeted it. As opposed to if somebody just writes a check, there are no restrictions. You can use the funds for the benefit of the organization based on what's needed. There are restrictions that are related to the time and use. So for example, you may receive Let's say you receive a grant for $50,000 and because of the funder's approach, you get one check upfront of $50,000. So you're looking at your bank statement and it says there's $50,000 in there, but that $50,000 is tied to a 12 year, I'm sorry, 12 month grant period. So although it's sitting in the bank, it's supposed to be spent according to the budget over that 12 month period. So restricted means there's some guidance around how you use it. Unrestricted means thank you. We'll pull together our strategy and then determine how to spend it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So um, on each episode, I play a game at the end asking one uh, random icebreaker question. Okay. And so um, I have one here. What's something you believed earlier in your career that you think differently about now? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Something that I thought early in my career that I think differently. <laughs> this is a funny answer, but it's the one that popped in my head, so it's the one I'll share. So when I was younger, 
I looked young and I thought that people wouldn't take me seriously until I was old. And so I had this crazy idea that uh, once I turned 40, that miraculously people will begin to take me seriously. <laughs> but now I realize that people have always taken me seriously, maybe not as seriously as I had thought or had hoped or just, I just didn't realize it. And age doesn't need to be, you know, a predictor of your credibility or your impact. And so I'm a believer that anybody and everybody, no matter your age, can have a huge impact on the world. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. And so what are you excited about? What's coming up next for you? Um, what's emerging in the work that you're doing these days? So I'm doing lots of different things. I'm a Gemini, so I always have my hands in a lot of different things. But one thing that I will mention that's related to our discussion is I've been wanting to do a, a grant writing boot camp. I've done them in the past, but one that is much more technical and much more um, hands-on and practical in application. And I'm going to be, I'm still, it's still in the works, but I will be doing that over the summer. It's going to be a six-week virtual, I believe, virtual program. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to um, seeing who, who, you know, who participates and, and, and the work that they do because of it. So. Awesome. Well, we will we will put links uh, in the show notes to your website so people can check it out and see when that program when when you launch it. I'm sure will be super useful for many people because it's oftentimes that nitty gritty that can get in people's way when they're trying to put together those those grants, those proposals. Hopefully, uh, avoid all the things that we just talked about. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but learn even more, I'm sure, with you. So. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate this opportunity. I appreciated Michelle's perspectives on how so many nonprofits get caught in the trap of overpromising in their grant proposals because they think this is the only way to get funded. If the numbers that you're promising aren't close to being feasible, guess what your funder will likely figure out? Exactly that. And it will actually hurt your chances of getting funded. I also appreciated her caution about doing your homework, that not following the specifications of an RFP or request for interest can really mean that your proposal gets put in the no pile in the first round, even if the project meets their requirements and might be competitive otherwise. So thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And we'd love it if you would take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or other places where you find this podcast. It helps other people find the podcast and we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening.